here in Exodus chapter 3, we have a wonderful example of, of someone who had an encounter with God. I suppose before we come to Exodus chapter 3, we, we need to have a little, uh, back up a little bit, shall we say, to get some more background to the story here, because who we have here is, is a man named Moses. God gave Moses a command here in chapter 3, but before this, you need to understand Moses is not just your ordinary person. Moses had attempted to lead the Hebrews before, in fact, about 40 years before this. When Moses was approximately 40 years old, uh, he attempted to lead the Hebrews, which unfortunately resulted in failure, or shall I say, fortunately resulted in failure. You see, Moses grew up as the prince of Egypt. It was the princess of Egypt who drew Moses out of the river. And Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. And so the first 40 years of Moses' life, he was, he was being groomed, if you will, to be the prince of Egypt. Some had said maybe, maybe even one day he would have been Pharaoh himself. And so when he was about 40 years old, he ended up uh, seeing one of his fellow Hebrews being uh, beaten, and so he ended up killing that Egyptian soldier and buried him in the sand. Well, that didn't go over very well. The Hebrews didn't like that. Pharaoh didn't like that. And so Moses fled into the wilderness. And so that for the next 40 years of Moses' life, he spends the time out there being a shepherd. And so God had some very valuable lessons that he wanted to teach this very self-sufficient Moses. Moses was independent, self-sufficient. He was uh, kind of like the man's man kind of a guy. And so basically for the first 80 years of Moses' life, they were a preparation for the task that God had for him. So if you find yourself 80 years old like Moses was, and, and you feel like you still haven't got done what God wanted you to do, there's hope for you. Because Moses was 80 years old when, when God gave Moses this task we're about to read about. By the way, God's timing is always right, always perfect. He wanted to call Moses at this point in his life because he was the man that God had prepared for the job. So I want to consider the call of God's leader and then see how this, this call of Moses actually relates to us. So let's start reading here in uh, Exodus chapter 3. We see God's call to Moses. And notice where Moses is here in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, or the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Now in verse 10, we have God's command, God's call to Moses. Look what he says. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's stop there. This is God's call to Moses. Now, what do I mean by the call of God? Now, this is, this is a bit of a tricky issue to bring up. Uh, might be opening a can of worms here. There's essentially two views concerning the call of God. There are some who have view number one, which is essentially this, that you need to have a specific call of God, uh, one like Moses has here, where God gave a specific task to Moses, a specific uh, command, if you will. And there's many incidents, by the way, in the Bible that would support this view, Uh, not just the one we have here. I mean, we have Elisha, Gideon, Isaiah, uh, the Apostle Paul, and of course, Moses. Those are just some of the examples in the Bible where there's where God told a specific person a specific task that he wanted them to do. And many people have said they've had similar calls to, to something, to do some task in their life. Uh, some can recall a moment where God uh, worked in their heart, uh, laid this heavy burden on them. They knew exactly what God wanted them to do. I mean, I've had a similar, similar sort of a situation myself where I, when I was in a, uh, Bible conference in the States when I was 15 years old, uh, God called me to ministry. I didn't know exactly what that ministry was or what that would look like, but uh, that God nevertheless worked in my life in a, in a similar way, although it wasn't a burning bush. Well, there's another view that uh, some people have. I hope you have the, this, this kind of a view anyway, that, that, hey, you don't wait for a call of God. Just do what you think God wants you to do. I mean, the reality is, how how often is God going to speak to us from burning bushes that aren't being consumed? (laughs) Uh, That example is probably never going to be done ever again. And by the way, no verse in the Bible can be found to support the particular belief that you must wait for a call of God before you actually serve Him. God's word is his final statement, if you will, for, for his will in our lives. God has given us his will, and it's, it's in the Bible. So if, you know, some people wait around for some, I don't know, some, something miraculous, supernatural, spectacular to happen, and then, and they wait around their whole life and never do God's will because they expect God to reveal His will to them the same way God did it with Moses or Paul or someone else. God rarely works those ways, particularly today. 
So many times God uh, does work in just the, the still, small voice, maybe as he did with Elijah. God works through his word. It is his final revelation. It is his authority for us in all matters of faith and practice. So as you are faithful to the revealed will of God, then God's going to honor you by leading you in His perfect will. So the desire for a particular ministry or vocation or whatever might grow in you and and you'll know that God uh, wants you to do something as you are pickling yourself in God's Word. Well, this kind of sets the stage for us because we see God's call in Moses' life here in verse 10. But if your Bible starts verse 11 the way mine does, it doesn't start with good news. What we actually see in verse 11 is Moses' struggle with God. Because verse 11 starts with a... Well, it's not a bad word, but it's it's not a positive one either. It's but, right? By the way, whenever you start conversations with God with that word but, that's that's a bad conversation. You know that's not headed down the right road, right? I hope you know that. When God tells you to do something and you immediately start with but, you're disobeying God. They should never start a conversation with God like that. But anyway, that's what Moses does. In verse 11, we have his first excuse. By the way, uh, let, let me just mention this. The Moses found this command of God in verse 10 hard to believe. We see someone who is immediately, immediately he starts objecting, because we see the first word of verse 11 is but. He's objecting. Uh, Moses seems to have changed during this 40 years in the wilderness. He's, he's timid. He's unsure of himself. He's looking for a way out. He's making excuses. That's immediately what he starts doing here in verse 11. He's making excuses why he cannot perform this particular mission that God had commanded him to do. And by the way, the the other interesting thing to note here is what is not written in the Scripture is that Moses didn't raise objections to the difficulty of organizing, equipping, and providing for, you know, two, two million, maybe even three million people. Now, he could have gone down that road if he wanted to. You know, okay, you want us to go out into the wilderness with millions of people. Okay, where's the water going to come from? Where's all this food going to come from? You know, he didn't make any excuses about that. But you'll notice on your paper, all of Moses' excuses either start with I or I'll. In other words, Moses had an I problem. He's focusing on himself instead of where his focus should be. You'll notice all those solutions, by the way, are all about God. And that's the same with you and me. When we have excuses, the problem is us. And if you want a solution to your excuse, you need to focus on God. So I hope you can relate to Moses. I've found uh, this, this particular passage very comforting and encouraging because I'm sure you're like me, you find excuses of why you can't do what God wants you to do. So anyway, let's look at his first excuse here in verse 11. Verse 11 says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So his excuse is essentially this. I'll put it in my own words for you. I'm a nobody. 
Moses is saying, I am a nobody. <laughs> he's timid. He's uncertain. He's, he's lacking in confidence. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Look at the solution in verse 12. Here's what God says to Moses. He says, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Maybe Moses has a broken spirit at this point. Remember when he was in Egypt, he's self-sufficient, proud, maybe even arrogant, uh, independent, doesn't think he needs God. Maybe those 40 years in the wilderness is exactly the training that Moses needed to lead the people of Israel. So he has this broken spirit that God is willing to use. According to 2 Corinthians 12.9, it tells us that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, not made perfect in our strength. God's grace is made perfect in our weakness. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Moses based this particular excuse on his previous experience. Remember, he tried to deliver one of his fellow Hebrew countrymen when the Egyptian soldier was abusing him, and he killed the Egyptian soldier. So his insecurity was linked to a past failure. He's afraid to fail again. And that's what, essentially why he's saying, hey, I'm a nobody. It didn't work, <laughs> hey, it didn't work in the past. Who am I that I, that I should do this? By the way, God's response, so, so, so the excuse is essentially him. He's focusing on his inadequacies. And so God's solution is to draw Moses' view and focus away from Moses to God. God says, hey, I'm going to be with you, Moses. It is true you are a nobody, but I'm God. I'm Yahweh. I'm Jehovah. I will bring victory for you. And God didn't answer the question specifically, but he does bring some uh, a reassuring message here, though, didn't he? And, and, and essentially you say, well, what is the solution? Well, number one, the first solution to our excuse is God's omnipresence. Omnite means all. It's, it's God's all presence. The, the, the wonderful biblical truth is that God is everywhere at the same time. There's nowhere that God is not. You, you, now, if you're sinning, that, that might be a, a very uncomfortable truth for you. That should cause fear in you. But if you're a believer and you're walking with God, you're living a you're trying to live a holy life and a righteous life before God. This is a comforting truth that God is everywhere at the same time. We can't get away from His presence. That's a truth found throughout the Bible in places like Psalm 139. That, hey, even in hell, God is there. So God's omnipresence is part of the first solution because God says there in verse 11... Uh, sorry, in verse 12, he says, I will be with you. The second solution to our excuse is God's promise. Now, all these have a P in it that hopefully help you remember at least some of these. So the second solution to our excuse is God's promise. God, what, what did God promise here in verse 12? God promised 
that Israel and Moses here would return to this mount. Now here it's called Mount Horeb. But Mount Horeb has more than one name, in case you didn't know that. It also has the name of Mount Sinai. So it's a bit, you know, there's other mountains that do this sort of thing. Uh, we're, We're familiar with this. I mean, for example, we have several mountains in New Zealand that have more than one name, right? We have Mount Egmont and we have Mount Taranaki. It's not two mountains, it's the same mountain with two different names, right? Same mountain. Well, Mount Horeb's the same way. It's the same place. So when, when God promises, I will bring you to this mountain, we know if you read on in, in the book of Exodus, God fulfilled His promise. God brought Moses and the, and the Israelites to Mount Sinai, which is where He gave them the law. God kept His promise. However, Oh, there are people who love to try to psychoanalyze people in the Bible, and Moses is one of those. It's interesting to me that God didn't try to build up Moses' self-worth or self-image or or his self-esteem. You know, he didn't have Moses recite it. You know, okay, Moses, here, sit down, recite after me ten times, I am somebody, I am somebody, I am somebody. No, he didn't do that. Moses didn't have a self-esteem problem. Nobody does. He didn't have a self-worth or a self-image problem. God's solution to his so-called self-image problem was to look on him and his promises. That's the same way with us. So let me give you the theme for today from this passage, okay? And and by the way, when, when I give you this theme, I want you to repeat after me, okay? I want you to give me the second part of the theme. I'm going to make you repeat it so that God drills it into your mind, your heart, so you won't forget this. So if you walk away with nothing else from Exodus chapter 3 and 4, at least go away with the theme. All right? Here it is. Here's the theme. When God gives you a task, He equips you to do it. When God gives you a task, He gives you a mission, He tells you to do something, He will equip you to do it. He's not going to tell you to do something you're not able to do. Moses was able to do this because God equipped him to do it. Alright? So if you're not able to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, then God won't call you to do that. You don't have to to worry about that sort of thing. So the theme is this. When God gives you a task, He equips you to do it. So whenever I say the first part of that throughout this sermon, you will give me the second part. Alright? All of you together, out loud. Alright? That's what I want you to do. Are you ready, class? Can you do this? Let's let's do a practice round. Here we go. When God gives you a task, He equips you to do it. All right, that's pretty pathetic, but we'll get better, I'm sure, as we go along. All right, the second excuse, by the way, as we come to the second excuse, you would have hoped that Moses would have obeyed God, right? But it doesn't end there. Scripture keeps going with Moses' excuses. And we see the second one in verse 13. It says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? So essentially, Moses' excuse here is, God, I lack authority. I lack authority. He's got a bit of an identity crisis going on here. I lack authority, which in, in, in many respects is... A legitimate excuse. All right? He's no longer the prince of Egypt. And really, what authority does he have with the Hebrews anyway? 
He's not, he, he's, he has no authority in Egypt. He has no real authority with the Hebrews. So lacking authority is, is kind of a legitimate excuse here. Moses had been rejected before. Essentially, the Hebrews told him who died and made you boss. And he didn't want to hear that again. And if he had heard that, that question again, Moses wanted to be prepared with an answer. You know, what am I going to say if, if, if they essentially ask me who died and made you boss? You come waltzing in here into, into Egypt and, and claim to have this authority. Who are you? Well, how did God solve this excuse? Well, look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So the solution here, there's only one, the solution to our excuse is God's person. The solution to our excuse and Moses' excuse here is God's person. Notice God says, I am who I am. Now, by saying I am, God's speaking of his self-existence. He's he's saying he's Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He is the self-existent one. He's saying, I've always been, I am, and I always will be. Nobody has created me, and I will have no end, and I'm everything in between. Well, Revelation says it this way. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So he's always been, he's all, and he always will be. So w- when God says here, I am, he's, he's really covering the past, present, and the future. Literally, God is saying, I am, I was, and I will be. It's just easier to say, I am, that I am. And by the way, this phrase also speaks of his relationship with his people. It's expressing totality, intensity, and emphasis. Uh, we, we don't we don't necessarily get all what God was trying to say in the Hebrew language here, but God was telling Moses, Moses, I will be present with you. Whatever situation I send you in, I will be with you and I will speak through you. This is beautiful. Because God is the one who gives authority. God is the one who gives you authority. In reality, we are nobodies. We are nobodies. We, we do lack authority. And so the beauty of this is you don't have to be somebody to serve God. You don't. You don't have to have a certain financial standing or a status or a position or whatever in life. You can be a nobody and serve God. You can be someone without authority and serve God because God's the one who authorizes, who authorizes you for his service. So here's, here again, we come to the theme. When God gives you a task, He equips you to do it. Alright, let's try that again. When God gives you a task, He equips you to do it. Amen. Well, again, we would have hoped that Moses would have obeyed God after giving two excuses, but he moves on to excuse number three, which is in chapter four. Look at chapter four, verse one. Then Moses answered, 
But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God, then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Let's stop there. Moses' excuse here is, I'll be rejected. Say, God, I can't do this. If I waltz into into Egypt and, and talk to Pharaoh, I'm going to be rejected. He thought the elders of the Hebrews would also reject him. He didn't feel they would believe what he had to say. And so this fear was reasonable, especially when you consider the fact that God apparently hadn't appeared to the Israelites for 400 years. For over 400 years, God had been silent. There hadn't been any scripture written. God hadn't spoken to to anyone within the Israelites for a long, long time. So in a way, it's a legitimate excuse. But what is the solution? As we read through this passage, what do you see God doing? God is pointing away from the man to himself. And so the solution to our excuse here is God's power. God is powerful. That is his solution. What did he enable Moses to perform? Well, he enabled Moses to perform three supernatural tasks. Two of them, excuse me, two of them were done here. They were done immediately. And then the last one was done in Egypt. God is gracious, isn't he? God is very gracious to do this, to show us his power, to reveal himself to us. And seeing God's power helps to build confidence in him and in what he's doing and wants to do. So again, we, we see from this passage here, the theme of this passage is this, that when God gives you a task, what does He do? He equips you to do it. When God gives you a task, He equips you to do it. Again, we, we would love to see Moses obey. But he moves on to excuse number 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. Again, when you start a conversation with God with the word but, you are living in disobedience and rebellion. And that's exactly what Moses does here in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech 
and of tongue. Essentially, here's the excuse. I'll give it to you in my own words. Moses is saying, I'm not talented. I'm not talented. I'm not talented. Now, now let's just think about this for a moment. Who is Moses? What kind of an education did he have for the first 40 years of his life? He's a well-educated man. He was the prince of Egypt. He'd been taught by the most learned men in Egypt. The kind of people who build pyramids that last thousands of years. Now, now granted, he may have been downplaying his abilities. Uh, perhaps maybe while he was in the desert for 40 years, maybe, maybe it's a bit of one of those things if you don't lose it, you, or, for, sorry, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of a thing going on here. Right? I mean, who, who did he really have to talk to out in the desert? Sheep. Well, they're not very intelligent. You can't have a good conversation with a sheep. And bushes don't carry on good conversations. Sand and rocks, you know, they don't carry on good conversations. They're not the most intellectually stimulating thing to talk to. So as being, you know, here he is out in the wilderness for 40 years. He he hasn't received the greatest intellectual stimulation that would have helped his eloquence. Maybe there's Maybe there is something going on there, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know for sure whether that's a legitimate excuse or not. I mean, you think about it for a moment. The book of Deuteronomy is one of the greatest sermons that has ever been preached. And who, who preached the book of Deuteronomy? Moses did. To the children of Israel. <laughs> I find some irony here. Here he's saying, I'm not eloquent. You know, I'm slow of speech. But man, when, when, it comes, when it comes time to preach a great sermon, he did a good job, didn't he? So either he's making an, an illegitimate excuse, or he's or he's kind of lost things, and God did a tremendous miracle there in the book of Deuteronomy. Eh, maybe it's both. I don't know. But he's anyway. His excuse is, "I'm not talented." So what's the solution? What is the solution? Look at chapter four, verse eleven. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. (laughs) So what's the solution to our excuse of not being talented? And, And saying, hey, I just don't have the ability to do what you want me to do? Well, the, the, the solution is God's provision. God's provision. He is the creator. He provides as the creator. And so God asked Moses, who made your tongue? And he says, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Now let me ask you this. How can we apply this to our lives? How can we apply this to our lives? Well, the the answer is, who made your mouth? Who made your legs? Who made your hands? Who made your brain? The same person that made Moses' body made your body. And the Bible says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, therefore we are to glorify God with our body. So, God's not going to ask you to do something that He hasn't enabled you to do. God has, when when He says, I want you to do this, 
you can't make the excuses, hey, I can't serve you, God, because, you know, I, I, I just don't have that ability. I'll give you a rather, I don't know how well it's to illustrate this. I'll use the absurd to illustrate this truth, okay? This is the way I'll do it. Imagine your shoe can talk to you, all right? Now, if you hear your shoes talking to you, then you need to, well, don't talk back to it. Let's just put it that way. Now, what kind of excuses could your shoe give to you of why you couldn't do something, say, like play basketball, all right? I just thought of some silly examples here of why your shoe, what your shoe might tell you of why it cannot play basketball. You know, imagine your shoe saying, hey, I'm not a basketball shoe. I might get hurt. The bigger shoes might step on me. Right? You say that, that's just, you, you've lost it. You, you didn't get enough sleep at camp, Pastor Scott. I mean, that is just so silly. I mean, my shoe is not going to give those kind of excuses. My shoe can do anything I want it to do when I'm wearing it, right? If, the, if I'm in my shoe, my shoe will do what I tell it to do. It goes where I want it to, to go. Well, it's the same way with us. You can do whatever God wants you to do, right? Because God equips you to do it. So, here we go again. When God gives you a task, what does He do? He equips you to do it. Always. Always. Again, we would love to see Moses obey at this point, but he moves on to excuse number five. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. Verse 13. But, there's that word again, but he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. There's his excuse in verse 13. Essentially, at this point, Moses has run out of ex- legitimate excuses, and now he's saying, I just don't want to. That's excuse number five. I don't want to. And by the way, this may have been the, the root of Moses' struggle with this particular mission that God had given to him. And by the way, by saying, hey, I, I can't, he really meant, I won't. <laughs> by the way, those of you who are parents... Beware of your children saying, I can't. I can't usually is, is secret language for, I just don't want to, Dad. I don't want to. And uh, did you notice this very interesting, very short prayer that Moses gives here? It's a prayer, what I call the prayer of an unsurrendered heart. And notice how God responded to Moses' excuse of, I don't want to. God gets angry. God gets angry. Look at verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be his God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. So God responds with anger. Up to this point, all the concerns that Moses had were based on his own weaknesses, his own fear, his inadequacies. He's struggling in his heart. Uh, 
but at this point, he's, he, he's probably not able to think of any other objection he can give to God. And God meets his objection by sending a partner. He sent his brother Aaron. By the way, Aaron would receive the honor of leading the priesthood of Israel. So, here's the point. In all of this, what do we see about God? The, the solution is God, but what do we learn about God? We see a very patient God. That's the solution to our excuse, is God's patience. God's patience. And so when God gives you a task, all right, let's try that again. When God gives you a task, He equips you to do it. So how did Moses accomplish God's will? We, we know he goes on to accomplish God's will, but how did he do that? Well, the answer is actually found in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's, let's wrap this message up by looking at the, uh, some, some good news here. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have the hall of faith. What we see is, is Moses goes from his call and his struggle, and now we see him victorious. We see a man who is victorious. How was he able to be victorious? How was he able to accomplish what God wanted him to do? Well, it's really the theme of the book of Hebrews, isn't it? Because here in Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 23. Look at the first two words of verse 23. It says, by faith. That's how Moses was able to be victorious. It was by faith. It's not because he's such an awesome man and God can't live without him. No, that's not it. It's not because he's, you know, the prince of Egypt. No, that's not it. It is by faith. And by the way, the object of your faith is crucial. Because there is this unbiblical philosophy in our world today is that says, just have faith. No. The object of your faith is the important part. Moses' faith was in God. It was in God. And so we see that Moses fulfilled God's task. How did he do this? Look at point number one there. Fulfilling God's task requires sacrifice. Fulfilling God's task requires sacrifice. Now, maybe that's not the news you wanted to hear, but that, that's the reality here. Let's start reading in Hebrews 11, verse 23. Verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, rather, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so in verse 27 it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now we'll touch on various aspects of this passage here. So we, number one, we see that Moses fulfilled God's task. How did he do that? Well, fulfilling God's task requires sacrifice. He was willing to give up anything that kept him from God's will, whatever that was, including his excuses. 
So we see, number one, that Moses gave up status. Moses gave up status. Verse 24, it says that he grew up as being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Who's Pharaoh? Pharaoh's the king of Egypt. He's he's the, the demigod, if you will, of Egypt. He gave up that status as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was, look at it this way, he was considered royalty. He could have expected to be treated as royalty for the rest of his life. He was educated in the finest schools of the ancient world. He was an excellent speaker, apparently, and established as a military leader. Some scholars feel Moses was being groomed to to be the next Pharaoh someday. So the bottom line is this. Moses had it all. You name it. He had it all. He had fame. He had power. He had influence. He had wealth. He had it all. The Bible says he, he gave it all up. He gave it all up. He sacrificed. Number two, it says Moses gave up pleasure. Verse 25 says, He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Now, notice notice the Bible agrees with the statement that sin is pleasurable. Okay, It would be a lie for all of us to say that sin is not pleasurable. That's a lie. Sin is pleasurable. God says so. The issue is it doesn't last. It's fleeting. It's temporary. Which is why, you know, people, they gotta go get the next cigarette. They gotta get the next bottle of beer. They gotta get drunk the next week. They gotta go jump off a cliff or whatever. They gotta do something crazy. They gotta keep the pleasure flowing. Because whatever their pleasure is, it doesn't last. It's temporary. The reality is Moses lived in a world full of wickedness and sin. He was living in Egypt at the height of its economic prosperity. Moses could have had anything his heart desired. And by the way, it was common for for rulers, uh, particularly in the Middle East, to have multiple wives and concubines. He could have been very immoral if he wanted to be. He could have lived his life always gratifying every lust, every desire, every pleasure. He could have driven a Holden chariot if he wanted to. He could have had he could have had the the you know, and his chariot would have had air conditioning as the horses pulled it, right? The air would be blowing through his hair. He could have had a boat on the Nile. He could have gone fishing every day if he wanted to. He could have gone hunting. He, he, could, have, he could have done whatever he wanted to do. Why didn't he? Because he realized this sin, while it's pleasurable, it doesn't last. There is something greater than my own pleasure in sin. And, and by the way, you've heard me say this before, but I'll keep, I'll keep saying it. How do we defeat sin? You defeat sin with superior pleasure. You don't try to call sin unpleasurable. You defeat sin with a superior pleasure. And that's exactly what Moses did. I'll look at that in just a moment. But we see, number three, that Moses gave up the easy life. He gave up the easy life. Because verse 26 says... He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He had the treasures of Egypt. He had the easy life. Egypt was an extremely wealthy nation. I mean, just just look at all the gold they put in King Tut's tomb. That's just one minor pharaoh. 
tomb robbers, you know, they got all the other gold and whatever else was in there. So Egypt was an extremely wealthy nation. Nothing would have been too expensive for Moses. He would have never had to work a day of his life. He could have sat in a chair eating grapes with people fanning him if he wanted to. He could have counted on, on getting richer and richer all of his life, but he gave up that easy life. Number two, fulfilling God's task requires choosing God's way. It requires choosing God's way, not ours, God's way. We see, number one here, that you must identify yourself with God. You must. As Moses did in verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he said, I will be identified with the Hebrews and with God. His loyalty was to God. In order for us to fulfill God's will for our lives, we also must be loyal to God. And loyal to God before everything else. That includes your spouse, your children, your, your grandchildren. Uh, loyalty to a church. Loyalty to a nation. Loyalty to your job. Anything you think of, God must be number one. Loyal to Him above everything else. Moses gave up his royal title. Why? Because he wanted to be known as God's child, not the grandson of Pharaoh. So he identified himself with God. Number two, you must expect mistreatment. You must expect mistreatment. That's what verse 25 tells us. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. You say, man, he's nuts. Why would anybody do that? You give up all that for being mistreated? Why? Well, I'll get to that in a moment. We've already read it, but here's the reality. If you stand for what's right, you're going to be mistreated. If you stand for what's right, you will be mistreated. You start questioning your workmates on some of their work practices, you will be mistreated. You start talking to your family members about some of the, their lifestyles and their choices, you will be mistreated. And even within the church, it can happen. You start, you start questioning people on, on issues of the heart, you can be mistreated. Your friends might make fun of you. Your friends might stop hanging around you. All these things happen to Moses once he put God first in his life. So this, this unbiblical uh, idea that, uh, well, it's just unbiblical, where, where people say, hey, you know, come to Christ, and, uh, you know, you, you'll have all the wealth and the prosperity and the fame and the, the power and the prestige and the health and the list. Go, you, you'll get all that if you come to Christ. He's not just going to meet your needs. He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, that didn't happen to Moses. Moses was mistreated. Number three, you must discern what is truly important. What is truly important? What is most important is Christ. Christ. Look at verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now there's two reasons Moses chose disgrace. He chose disgrace. He chose, he chose mistreatment. Why? Well, it's that superior pleasure. 
You defeat sin with superior pleasure. He was looking to the superior pleasure. What is the superior pleasure? Well, as verse 26 says, it's Christ. Christ is the superior pleasure. we got to get our eyes off our little puny, insignificant lives and put them on Christ. The Bible says He did this for the sake of Christ. God specifically told Moses to act as He did. You should not take a stand against something, by the way, unless God's Word clearly condemns that thing. You shouldn't... uh, you got to be careful when it comes to these sort of things. But Moses chose disgrace because there's a specific command of God. Hey, step forward and be the leader of my people. Nobody else should have done that. Nobody else had that command of God to do that. It would have been presumptuous for anybody else to do that. So he did it for the sake of Christ. That's part of the superior pleasure. But number two, he was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead to his reward. Did you notice? The end of verse 26 says, For he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. Moses, in other words, had eternity in view. He realized that the wealth of this life would do nothing for him in the next life. Well... Verse 27, it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Let me ask you, where are your eyes? Where's your heart? Where's your affections? Where's your mind set? Is your mind set on things above, or is it set on the earth? You'll never defeat sin if your mind and your heart is set on the earth. You'll never defeat sin if you're not looking to the reward. If you're not looking to Christ, then you're going to live for yourself. Now maybe you're like Moses. You've, you've, uh, you've made excuses at some point in your life. Maybe you're making excuses now of why you can't do what God wants you to do. Maybe you've been convicted of your lack of service at various times in your Christian life. Maybe you've even made excuses of why you could not serve God but most often, the, the reason is the same one that Moses had. You just don't want to serve God. You just don't want to serve God. You're, you're actually living in open rebellion against God. But let me ask you this. Do you have fears and inadequacies, worries, concerns? Do you have any of those kind of things? Well, then join the club. <laughs> join the club. I do. Moses did. We probably all do. Join the club. If you have fears and inadequacies, join the club. Because your fears and inadequacies are, are no different from everybody. It's, it's, it's common to man, Scripture says. What's the solution? It's the same one for Moses. Did you notice all the solutions have to do with God, His person, His character? Your fears, your inadequacies will only overbecome by a true knowledge of God. This is why it's important for every one of us to strive to become theologians. Theology is just the study of God, in case you're wondering. It's incumbent upon us, every one of us, to strive to become theologians, to know God personally, intimately, deeply. So, what excuses have you been giving to God? Are these maybe some of the ones that are mentioned here? 
or the others. Whatever those excuses are, by the way, if, if, if they weren't mentioned in this passage, the same solution applies. It's God. Whatever your excuse is, the solution is God. We need a greater knowledge of God. By the way, God wants to use you. He does. He wants to use you. It's very gracious of Him to, to want to use us. It's gracious of Him to use us. But where's your heart? Where is your heart? Your, your heart has to be open. Your heart has to be obedient to the revealed will of God. God is not going to use you when He, as you're reading Scripture and, and He clearly tells you to do something or not do something, and you say in your heart, I'm not going to do that, or I'm going to do the opposite. Okay? That is not an obedient, submissive heart. God wants to use you, but your heart has got to be open and obedient to His revealed will. This is His revealed will. He's not going to speak to you from a burning bush. Okay? So come to God's Word to find out what His will is for your life. But come to it with a heart that is that says, I will do whatever God says, or not do whatever God says not to do. So, I hope we all can be encouraged by Seeing a man who struggled. He had God's call in his life, but he struggled just as you and I do when God wants us to to do something or not do something. We struggle with our mission that God has given to us to glorify Him and to evangelize the lost and to, to, to serve one another. We struggle with that mission. We all do. Just as Moses did. But the solution is to know God greater, to know Him more intimately, more deeply. So what, what are you doing about it, my friend? What are you doing? Are you doing nothing? Right, do you just let all those wonderful books that sit back there on the table go by every Sunday and say, I don't want to read. That's inconvenient. I'm not a good reader. Well, you know what? Neither am I. <laughs> but you know what? Even if, even if you only read, say, a page a week, at least you, you're getting somewhere. You're, you're trying to know God greater, more intimately, more deeply. Are you in His Word every day? You're not going to know God if you don't know His Word. This, this is how God has revealed Himself to you, my friend. Do you ignore it? Do you just put it on the shelf? You know, use it on Sunday, Thursday night for, or a ladies Bible study or a Bible conference or something. And then the rest of the week, you know, hey, I don't need God. I don't need to know Him. God's revealed Himself in a book. That's how He's chosen to reveal Himself. That's how you're going to know Him. My friend, be in the Word every day. Every day. Read it. Just don't read it, though. Memorize it. Meditate on it. So you can know God. There, there is no greater person. There is no greater relationship and fellowship than knowing God. And if you do, it's, it, it's going to solve your, all the excuses. It's going to take care of all that. It's going to quiet your noisy soul as well. May God enable us to know Him.